the greatest author in the history of my home state of Indiana is by most counts the incomparable Kurt Vonnegut. Before I ever knew he was a fellow Hoosier, I had chewed through a dozen of his books in high school, in place of schoolwork, the Bible, and everything else. At some point, you've probably read him too. Classics like Mother Night, Slaughterhouse Five, Dead Eye Dick, and others helped me see the world more clearly through difficult years. They helped me see the world like Kurt Vonnegut, which is to say, with kinder, gentler eyes. Vonnegut always thought of himself as a science fiction writer, and even his more conventional titles tend to have strong sci-fi tones and elements. He went so far as to create an alter ego, sci-fi hack named Kilgore Trout, who appears throughout his works as the authors of books like *The Plant Gobblers*, *The Protocols*. Of the elders of Tralfmador, like I said, I devoured this stuff, and I thought I'd long since read all of the most bizarre Vonnegut stories. But this week, our audio engineer Brent found another one, new for me at least. The story is about the Indiana Bell Building, a huge eight-story steel and brick structure in his hometown of Indianapolis that weighed eleven thousand tons. The city wanted to blow it up. Vonnegut wanted to move it instead. They wanted space for a new building. He convinced them he can move it over, like he was reparking a car using hand-operated jacks. And he promised to be able to do this while the employees of the Indiana Bell Telephone Company continued working inside it. He would just create extension lines for gas, heat, electricity, and water to trail behind the building like vacuum cleaner cords in order to keep them open and running. The historical setting for this weird story was 1930, but it's not a novel, and it was Kurt Vonnegut, the architect, Kurt Senior, who was responsible. The Kurt we know and love was eight years old at the time. This was his father, which he described as a dreamy artist, an aloof and distant figure. This detachment and dreaminess resulted in a series of bad business decisions and a failed marriage with Junior's mother Edith. The Great Depression of the 30s, combined with Kurt Senior's mistakes, had resulted in the loss of the family fortune and also of the social status Edith had once enjoyed. The kids were moved into public schools, and Edith just became another poor housewife in a city she once enjoyed as a privileged socialite. She became an alcoholic, and on the night of May 13, 1944, overdosed on sleeping pills. Kurt Junior was the one who found her body. When he entered her bedroom the following day on May 14th, Mother's Day, a few months later, Junior was shipped to the war front in Europe and captured by the German army in the Battle of the Bulge. He was sent as a prisoner of war to the city of Dresden right before it was bombed. Roughly 25,000 civilians were killed, and he was required to dig through the rubble for bodies of women and children. To say the least, it was a bad year for Junior, and one that would shape his worldview and his artistic sensibilities for the rest of his life. But in 1930, everything was going well. Junior was eight, and Kurt Senior was a professional success. The family was wealthy. Edith had no pill addictions, and everything was looking up. For the Vonnegut clan, the decision to move the Bell Building was such a popular event in the city of Indianapolis that viewing stations were set up all around the worksite. Hundreds of people stood at the fence every day to watch a small army of workmen crank an 11,000-ton building across the concrete. 
According to the Indianapolis Star, every six strokes of the jacks would shift the building three-eighths of an inch, moving at 15 inches per hour, all with the fully staffed offices functioning up above. Employees claimed to be unable to feel any of it, even as the building moved 10 feet per day underneath them. It's such a strange image, this huge building scooting steadily across the ground. Actually, when you watch the move, you realize it's more swinging into place. You can find a gif of it on our website. Keep in mind, these jacks were hand-operated. They were assisted by steam, but the bulk of the power came from good old-fashioned elbow grease. According to the star, the actual movement was enabled by a, quote, concrete mat cushioned by Oregon fir timbers, a 75-ton hydraulic jacks, and rollers. And, as the weight of the building moved off one roller, workers placed another ahead of it. Altogether, it took less than 30 days to roll the building into place. To this day, it's one of the biggest structures ever moved. It'd be amazing if it happened in downtown Indianapolis today. It's almost unthinkable for the 1930s. Kurt Vonnegut Sr. did something amazing. He imagined an impossible solution and actually pulled it off on the first try. It's the kind of thing most architects and engineers would dream of, captivating an entire city with science and an achievement they had to see to believe. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. The movement of the Indiana Bell Building was unforgettable, yet almost everyone has forgotten it. The people who actually remember Kurt Sr., have likely never heard of it. What they remember instead is what they've heard from Kurt Jr. Comments like this from his novel, Bluebeard. Don't worry about your father. He's a perfectly contented, self-sufficient zombie. While Jr. rarely spoke of Sr., directly he described him repeatedly in his novels through the fathers of his protagonists who were distracted, dreamy men. Never bad people, 
just never really present. They were gentle, thoughtful people, but mediocre husbands and fathers. In another novel, his alter ego Kilgore Trout explains, Your parents were fighting machines and self-pitying machines. Your mother was programmed to ball out your father for being a defective money-making machine. And your father was programmed to ball out your mother for being a defective housekeeping machine. They were programmed to ball each other out for being defective loving machines. Then your father was programmed to stomp out of the house and slam the door. There were also good things, as in this clear reference to his actual father. The thing my father was proudest of was the heiress clock at the intersection of Washington Street and Meridian that made him so happy. Heiress complained because he wouldn't send them a bill. There was stuff my family had done there, particularly my father and grandfather, that was quite permanent and wonderful. But there's a parable in this for all of us. At some point in our lives, we start to believe that the most important things about us are the big, impressive, historical things, and this is almost never the case. Our most enduring legacies are defined by our families and the people who needed us most, by the people who care enough to tell our stories after we're gone. Even when we do the amazing and unthinkable, like moving an 11,000-ton building using hand cranks in the middle of one of the biggest cities in America... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.